This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Now I know I, I've identified the voice. So I'd say to it, Oh, hello, voice of 2,000 years of oppression. I am not going to listen to you. Welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. We're here to bring you fascinating stories from innovative and pioneering women around the globe. Our aim is to uncover the human behind the success story to show that these women aren't so different from you or I. They're achieving great things despite their doubts, fears and tough times. Don't forget to look out for our special how-to episodes as well. This is where Claire and I unpick some of the common career pain point themes our guests have raised. Now to this week's show. We're so excited to share this conversation with business for purpose pioneer Odette XL. Claire and I were captivated by Odette's refreshing and open thoughts about being a female entrepreneur the surprising benefits she thinks women have with their career choices, her thoughts about her own financial security, and why she's such an optimist even in today's trying times. Before we dive in, a little bit about Audette. She's an activist, turned lawyer, turned investment banker, and an incredible philanthropist. She's on a mission with her groundbreaking organization, the Adara Group, to build a bridge between the world of business and the world of people living in extreme poverty. Adara now touches the lives of an astonishing 50,000 people a year. Raised in New Zealand with extensive experience in Asia, Odette became one of the youngest women ever to run a publicly traded bank at the age of 30. Yes, you heard that right, 30, while based in Bermuda. Odette now lives in Sydney, Australia, where Odara Group has its global headquarters. Odette is a former World Economic Forum Young Global Leader, an inductee of the Australian Businesswomen's Hall of Fame, and a Forbes Hero of Philanthropy, to name just a few of her accolades. Please enjoy this discussion with the inspiring Odette XL. Welcome to Don't Stop Us Now, Odette. That is quite some introduction. I know, I know. <laughs> um, and, and we were just beginning. Greta and I have been so excited to be able to sit here and have a really good conversation with you. I mean, we have conversations, but they generally, as you're running from one thing to another or we're on mental walks or something like that. So it's really great to be able to sort of really dig deep into, into your story and, and your journey. So just kicking off, because it's, you know, it's kind of hard to know where to start. 
with your journey, but let's talk about what you actually do. Because it's been said that you live a, a double life. Well, actually, probably a triple life because of your Suncorp board position as well. So how do you actually describe what you do to someone that you first meet? I know, that's quite funny, isn't it? I just want to say, first of all, though, that I'm so glad to be here with you two. You're two women that I really admire, and I love what you're doing in terms of supporting and raising issues around gender and business and affecting social change. So it's a total pleasure to be here. So Thanks, in terms Georgia. of the, the, <laughs> the elevator pitch, you know, it has to be a bloody long elevator ride, right? <laughs> um, and, and for years we've been trying to... Sh- you know, get the elevator pitch right. And actually, Adara as an organization is not that complicated. It's nothing more complex than one, now two corporate advisory businesses that are set up solely for the purpose of generating revenue to fund work through and now a group of companies and trusts around the world, nonprofits around the world, Adara Development, that provides support and service to some of the women and children, some of the world's most remote places. So it's simply the idea of using business as a funding engine for delivering service to people in need, but it's quite a mouthful to get it all out, I know. We want to dive more deeply uh, soon into some of the the specifics of the work and getting investment bankers to donate their time. But before we do that, you know, at this high level of the business model where you've got business as the funding engine for your development work, I've heard you talk about wanting to change the way people think about the role for business. Yes. This has become a conversation wonderfully that's become easier. I believe profoundly right from the the beginning that you can do anything you want with business if you own it, you know, if you set it up. And there's sort of, the, you know, the worshipping, you know, at the Milton Friedman sh- Shrine of business only has one sh- stakeholder, the shareholder. You know, I, I believe that right at the outset to be profoundly wrong and that um, businesses cannot behave as sociopaths. They've got to behave on multi with looking after multiple stakeholders. And that change is really, there's been a huge shift in thinking around that. And the time, it's been one of the joys of 20 years of this work is seeing that change. Um, so I always believed it to be true. Um, that the great businesses of the world were the ones that contributed to society. And the wonderful thing now, of course, is the data is coming in louder, stronger than we've ever seen that that is in fact the case. And we're now starting to see some of the world's largest investment managers, the great super funds in yep, Australia. BlackRock. Right, exactly. BlackRock last week um, uh, talking about exactly this. You know, there, there's a whole new standard that's being brought now and that's going to change our world. So what do I mean about that? Exactly that. Use business for good as well as, you know, build great businesses that do great things. And in its very small way, Adara is a model for that. Both our businesses are B Corps. I really love the B Corp movement. And the concept of business for purpose for me has been right at the center of the whole thing from the start. How did you – it's all very well having a model and knowing that you want to connect the business world to – the disadvantaged Mm -hmm. world or the the poorest communities. But how did you know where to make a difference? Yeah, (laughs) it's a really good – that's a really good question actually. How do you go from vision, crazy idea, to implementation? And I think the first time round, in terms of setting up the organization, some of it was about hubris, right? So it was just I can do this and I didn't really have a plan or a budget or it was just this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to get going. And it was actually a couple of years in until I realized, gee, this is hard. By then I was too far in <laughs> to get out, <laughs> if you like. Um, and I can remember a very phone call, funny phone call home to my mum and dad about two years in when in this, the same week, I kid you not, we'd had – 
in our really remote project in Nepal, the Maoists had come to power, taken over the mountains. There was a conflict in Nepal, as we say, and we'd had a horrible thing happen with some of our staff getting beaten up. We had a couple of American nurses up there. We had machine guns waved around and our office got trashed. And I got that awful call in the middle of the night from a sat phone saying, what do we do? Get us out of here. And I was going, oh God, no disaster recovery plan, no emergency evacuation plan. And then literally the realization of being totally out of my depth. And then two days later, I get a call from a wonderful Aussie nurse who's in our Uganda project, which is the focused on an amazing partnership with the local hospital, newborn health, ringing me up and saying, audit, patient's been admitted to the hospital bleeding from every orifice, and I think it's Ebola. What Uh would you like me to do? And I remember ringing my mum and dad and crying down the phone but laughing at the same time and saying, if I ever have an idea, this is stupid again. (laughs) Stop me. <laughs> because I, but I was too far in. So so the first time around there was a lot of um, how did I go? I just believed that I was going to be able to do it. So, okay, I'm going to run a company to support an NGO. Let's yeah. set up an NGO. Let's set up a company. Let's go out and tell people we're open for business. It was really no much, not a hell of a lot more thought than that. Quite and then that you're young and foolish. Young right? and stupid, exactly, <laughs> hubris. So, and that, and I went on the road. The first year was all about learning about non-profit sector before I got the business underway. So time in Nepal, time in Uganda, you know, really trying to figure that out. The latest business two years ago, which was launched two years ago, but I started working on five years ago, I came to that with a lot more thinking and a lot more experience, obviously. And I had this idea about, gee, I could get these, I could create this panel of of brilliant investment bankers and I needed to draw it down. So I said to my EA, Rory, at the time, I said to him, listen, I've had this great idea and I'm going to go home to my mum's place for a week and I'm going to draw it. And I said this around the office and I said, I need to buy pens, pencils, crayons. I want some stickers. I want some big white paper. And I could see they were all looking at me with that kind of concern of (laughs) she's finally flipped her wig. And so I went home (laughs) to my mum, took over the top of the house and laid all this paper out and I just drew everything. And I just drew it as I saw it. Once I'd come across the idea and then I rolled the paper up, these crazy, ridiculous, cartoony drawings, and I posted them back to, to from Molly Mook, where my mum lives, to Sydney and said to Rory, can you find a, find a graphic artist to turn this into something? And then I, they unrolled them, and I can tell they all unrolled them with my happy little stickers and went, wow, this is worse than we thought. <laughs> so, call the doctor. Call the doctor. But I, I visualised it. And, I, and you know, once I started to think it through, so yeah. I'm a very visual, I'm, I'm really hopeless artistically, but I, if, I, if you draw something for me in life in terms of deals and markets and all the rest of it, you know, don't tell me about a deal, draw it for me. And then once I can see it, I've got it. Yeah, right. So, so the second time around in terms of how to turn it, so second time around that, well, that, that business, much more thoughtful, much more deliberate. I actually asked people's advice the second time around and listened. Gosh, radical. <laughs> As a result, I wanted to create something. This second business, Adara Partners, I wanted to create something that would not only sustain Adara long past me, but that may be a contribution, a bigger contribution, thinking about models, something that may have applicability in Wall Street, in London. And so very deliberately stepping through that process with a huge amount of support from amazing people as I was doing it, I kind of mapped it. So it was, it was interesting to create again from scratch as a more senior woman or an older woman than a young 35-year-old, you know, full of crazy ideas and just who just wanted to get going. 
it was kind of a different process. And it sounds like it had sort of a gestation period. Yes. And a, you know, all, all sorts. It was more of a journey. Yes, it was. It was more serious thinking. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, though, I did with the first one. When I first started Adara, so I stepped down from the bank and I took a year off. And at the same time, I left a marriage with a man that I still have very, very close connection to. And I left Bermuda and I knew that I was going to do something big next. I just didn't entirely know how I was going to express it. And I did go through a process during that year of really thinking through what was going to be my best use and what would make me most joyous. And I didn't think about jobs. I thought about pillars of my life. And I thought really, really hard about, you know, how did I feel? What was my relationship with money, for instance? And I thought really hard about, you know, did I, could I use the skills I'd already gained now? Was there anything else I needed? I thought really hard about how did I feel about having children or relationships? You know, I was 35. I just stepped out of a marriage. I thought really hard about would my life be, did I want an international life or a domestic life? Was I an entrepreneur or should I try to express whatever it was I had to express through somebody else's business or structure. And and so it fell out of a process of wider thinking about who I was. But once it had fallen out, I just knew get going. You know, it was and it was funny because I sort of stepped out of the flow of the world for that year. And then I reappeared and people said, oh, hello, Dad, it's you, you know, and what are you going to do next? And I said, oh, I'm going back to Bermuda to set up a corporate advice business to fund service delivery to mothers and children in extreme poverty in the world's most remote places. And everybody went, what? How did you come up with that idea? But once I had it, I just, I was just, let me at it. And people came from everywhere to help me. You know, I had the idea, but as soon as I spoke it out, there were people lining up to help. Yeah. I love that way that you sort of gave yourself the space yeah. and asked yourself those really core questions because it's really about who you are, isn't it? Yeah. And what you do is a real expression of who you are. Yes, it is. And what a privilege that is. You know, when I think about my life as a woman, you know, if any of us were born in a different country, you know, the choices we would be making are how you survive today, how you get through today and you get enough food. And if you have a family, which most likely you do, you know, how do you make sure that they have enough food and how do you find safety and shelter? That's, and you're a hero to, in some places to get through the day like that. Yeah. Whereas women like us, you know, we get to paint our own picture. You say that, you know, but there are so many women, and I include myself a lot of the time, even with all the privilege that we've been born with, yeah. who fear security and Susie Orman, the American sort of personal finance specialist, says that at any time in their lives, up to 50% of women at some point will fear becoming a, a homeless bag lady. Yes. You know, how did you think that. about that in yeah. your year off and yeah. and when you said, you know, talked about your relationship with money and security and where you were going to put your priorities? Yes, like, yeah, that's a, isn't that a terrible thing? And actually what's even more terrible is so many women who fear that are right to fear that because the structure of society society is such that so many women are in a situation where they genuinely don't have financial security. And I do not for one second suggest that fighting to make sure you've got enough financial security is a critical thing and an important thing. Never would I suggest, you know, go live in sackcloth and ashes. And I have enormous respect for every woman who fights for her security and her safety and the safety and security of her kids. I think for me, in terms of this sense of self-confidence, being well-loved, mm -hmm. coming from people, you know, who would cheer me on no matter what I did, 
as long as I tried my hardest and a recognition that the chances were I was very unlikely ever to worry about was I going to be able to get enough food today or was I going to be on the streets. I think certainly having a uh, having a good education, getting the law degree, but also just having the sort of security of I can always – I remember when I was a baby lawyer and I was scared every single day and I was doing deals that I had no idea about, I used to go home at night, drink quite a lot of red wine <laughs> under stress, and I used to say to myself this mantra of, you know, if it all goes to shit, mum and dad are still going to love me and the sun is still going to rise. I, and, you know, I, I feel that I was given as a child and all the way through my life actually permission to fail. And and I think that's the greatest thing that you can give your kids, give them permission to go out and give it a shot and let them know that even if they fail, you still love them. And once you stand on that, you know, whether it's your parents or your best friend or your lover or, you know, whoever it is, once you have that makes it a lot easier, right? And in terms of the relationship with money thing, I think coming from a family and a social structure where money was never considered to be a badge of success, you know, in in the circles that I was raised in, what was a badge of success was, you know, depth of character, the way that you behaved in society, how hard you tried at what you did. You know, these were the things that, that mattered. And so the addiction to money, and of course, you know, you have enough, right? You need enough. You need enough. You need to be able to pay your electricity bill. But, you know, I bought my first house when I was 50. And I know, was a, I remember that. <laughs> and it was a good moment, right? Yeah. But, you know, I had decided long ago, it's okay. If I never have enough money to buy a house, it's fine. And then I had this wonderful moment where I went, wow, I can actually, I've got enough money for a deposit. I can buy a house. Cool. And it's been great. But I've never had that you know, money really matters. Do I lie awake at night and think, gee, I wonder if I'm going to be a bag lady? No, I don't. And chances are I won't be. And that's a privilege. But yeah, the voice of fear, bigger question, the wider question about we are filled with fear as women. Absolutely. Filled with fear. And now, you know, now I'm older, I hear that voice, you know, the voice, I still hear it. I walk into a Suncorp board meeting and I still look around the room and go, oh my God, why am I here? I should have read that paper more closely. Gee, I hope that's not a stupid question. He knows a lot more about this than I do. I still, noisy. Yeah. Noisy. And, but now I know I, I've identified the voice. So I'd say to it, oh, hello, voice of 2000 years of oppression. I am not going to listen to you. It's, I can never shut it up. It's on my shoulder, you know, as it is on all our shoulders. Yep. It's in our blood. Yeah, we call it the evil DJ. Right. <laughs> the evil DJ. The soundtracks. Like it is, yeah, it is. And so I can't figure out how to turn the music off, but I can figure out. I know what the music is now. And so, you know, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not listening to you. Hello, there you are again. And, and you know, how terrible, right, that we've all inherited this and, and we need to recognize it. And I think by telling other women, young women, the number of young women when I have this conversation with them and they're shocked that, you know, older women still have, feel that. They think they're alone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And a little bit earlier before we started the interview, we were talking about, you know, the, the role models that you've had in your life that have really inspired you. Yeah. Can you, can you it's speak been a little millions, bit? I have to say, you know, <laughs> really the wonderful thing. You know, one of the reasons that I'm such an optimist, I'm a, I'm, I, I see complexity and I think and the difficulties in our planet, but I also spend every single day working with heroes. So, you know, we talk about who are your heroes and, I've got a whole lot of people who've totally inspired me who no one's ever heard of, you know, from Sister Christine, you know, midwife in the U- working in 
Uganda who saved so many thousand babies against all odds, you know, to, to extraordinary women on the ground in our project sites. So there's a whole raft of, of people like that. In terms of the kind of people that I see, public figures that I see as role models, I've always been deeply inspired by Rosa Parks. The courage to be the first one. I think that's what, you know, every single woman who stands up every day and, and fights for herself as a hero, every single person who stands up and gets out on the street is courageous about what, saying what they believe in as a hero. But being the first one, wow, how was that? Wouldn't you love to have met her and kind of, you know, doffed your cap? And thanked and, her. And thanked her. You know, Gloria Steinem. I did get to meet Gloria Steinem when she turned 80 and, and I was entirely, I babbled at her ridiculously about what a hero she was to me. Lema Gabawi, you know, led the peace movement in Liberia, you know, this with enormous cleverness but humor in terms of putting the message out to women that, you know, the way to get your man to, st- your men to stop this ridiculous civil war is to refrain from having sex with them and to go to the, the menstrual hut at the appropriate time until they got the message. And, you know, she won the Nobel Peace Prize. For, for, you know, and with enormous amount of strength, the character and humor. So I think the people that I really admire and that, you know, I've, it's the shoulders you stand on are the people that have gone first. People that were brave enough to step forward. Yeah. You know, think about what the suffragettes did for us. Do you know, I was walking to the, last time we voted, I was walking up the street and the neighbor's young daughter was voting for the first time. And I said to her, you know, oh, how exciting, you know, congratulations. That's wonderful. You're voting. And she was like, whatever. And truly, I, I stopped her in the street and gave her a thirty-minute burst. <laughs> I said, "Do you know what women, what what they did to give you the vote? Yeah. Why it is that it, you know? Because these are the women, you know, that that went before us, the social justice activists, the kids who sat, you know, in America and had hot soup poured over them because they dared to sit, you know, at a whites-only part of the diner." These are the people who should be our heroes. These are the people who should be on our on our coins and our dollar notes. And these are the people, you know, who every single day inspire me. So there are a lot of them out there, right? Yeah, that's for sure. And hearing about all those amazing women and those women who had the courage to, to stand up for something or, as you have been doing, the, the courage to start something new. What do you think, if anything, is the unique quality a woman can bring in introducing new ideas, new models to the world? Gee, that's an interesting question. I do think there's a gender issue around. I think, um, and I think some of this comes from society underestimating women generally. I think that it's quite tough to be a man in the sense that, you know, you really are judged by walking down a particular professional track. Whereas women, because we're underestimated, it's like they're there. I remember when sitting, <laughs> sitting up at Dara, one senior guy in the business community said, that's nice, dear. Go and do that for a little bit. And then when you realize it's a waste of time, you know, come back to the business community. So there's a weird amount of opportunity because we're so underestimated to do completely off the wall things. And, and that's true. I'd never uh, thought of it like that. Yeah, but it's true, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you imagine if I was, you know, and I see this, uh, you know, in our, the people who come to join our businesses, so often they're women because 
nobody's going to say to them, that's terrible, you've gone to join that business for purpose, corporate advice business. But if you're a guy and you're supposed to be climbing the corporate ladder, it's harder. So these are generalizations, but I actually think there's a sort of a wider permission given to women. And also, of course, you know, all the things we know about our life as women, no matter which way we choose to create our family structures or our personal lives, you know, we tend to juggle a whole heap of stuff. We generally... Again, huge generalization. We're pretty good multitaskers. Yep. And if you want to invent and create, you need to be a pretty good multitasker. You need to be able to see lots of different pieces of a puzzle and then bring them together rather than having a very single focus. Although, of course, execution, it's not just about vision, it's also about execution. So I think there's a part of that. I also think a lot of really impressive women choose to go into entrepreneurship because smashing your head against glass ceiling is pretty exhausting. So if you're working through a traditional business structure, you know, as a professional manager, you know, certainly for me, all the thinking I did about Adara, you know, one thing I knew about myself was I want to create something with my own value system. I don't want to have to bring an independent board of 12 along with me or a whole raft of senior managers. I just want to create and, and I want to create structures that, I mean, you know, all our offices, if you come to our offices, as Greta knows, you know, they're orange walls. We've got a dog in the office. Parents bring their kids in. It's just easier to create yourself than to try to drag the ship around. Yeah. So I th- also think there's that piece. There's a certain point. So I, And I'm often saying when people are talking about, you know, where are the women on our public company boards and running our public companies, you know, where are the women? A big part of the answer is have a look at the entrepreneurs. A lot of them are entrepreneurs. They're running private companies. They're doing it their own way because that's a great choice if you don't want to be stopped. You know, don't yeah. stop me now. Absolutely. And, and um, don't, you know, it's Great a great segment. <laughs> yeah. Because we're so- right. I mean, that is the perfect segue because this podcast is called Don't Stop Us Now. And you, Odette, in the past 20 years have shown just what amazing things are possible if you keep going. So can you think of a time when you've really had to think to yourself, don't stop me now? It's funny, you know, it's such a great concept, don't stop me now. And and, um, thinking about it and talking about it beforehand, in some ways, I think my whole life has been don't stop me now. I, I feel like, and my mother would probably attest to this, that I was born running. You know, it was like, get out of my way. I have, I'm in the world. You have things to do. There's fun to be had. There's adventures to be had. So I don't think there's, I can't think of a point at which I felt held back. I've had plenty of points where voices in my head have tried to hold me back in terms of, you know, the voice of doom, the voice of fear, the voice of failure. But I all, I decided very early I was not going to listen to those voices. I was going to acknowledge them, but not listen to them. So really it's been a bit of a flat out, you know, crazy passionate experience, my life. I've been lucky to have that. So rather than there being a moment, it's more like a motto. And what a motto. <laughs> It's a great motto. I'm going to steal it from you too. (laughs) We'd be honoured. So what's your advice to to women who are out there listening and, you know, have this sense that they want to do more with their life but just not sure how to? Yeah, I mean, to start with, it is that, you know, don't let anyone stop you. You know, do not listen to the voice of no, you know, is the one thing I really believe. You know, when you're feeling something, you know, don't let anybody stop you. And, And also, I guess... You know, dream big. If you are lucky enough 
to be able to paint on a big painting. You know, remember that as a piece of extraordinary good fortune. And I, I do not underestimate the complexity in people's lives and the constraint and the difficulties and the struggle. I don't underestimate that for a moment. But if you're lucky enough to be able to paint, paint a big painting. Do something wild and wonderful. Don't let yourself settle because, gee, that would be boring, right? To choosing to be asleep or just, or, or always knowing that there's something more. And so often when I'm talking to young women, I say to them, you know, why are you so afraid to fail? Like, what is so bad about failing? Even if you give this a go and run flat out and fall flat in your face, you know, are you not going to be able to eat? Is everybody going to hate you? Like, you know, really? Someone die? And, yeah, exactly. Is someone going to die? And I mean, you know, what, you know, so what's so bad about giving it a shot? And, and I think this fear of failure thing is really huge. So, you know, being able to sort of launch yourself at the world, you know, boy, do we need those young women. We need them. And, and those of us that are at this stage have kind of gone, gone ahead. You know, I just can't wait for the army that's coming of amazing women that are, are, um, are not going to let themselves be stopped because, you know, the planet is in their hands now. Girls can do anything that we see every single day. Well, Odette, I think you have proved that girls can do anything and <laughs> have dreamt so big. You're former Telstra New South Wales Businesswoman of the Year. You're a Forbes hero of philanthropy, a World Economic Forum global leader. A of global tomorrow. lettuce and tomato, my, my uh, family called. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. You are such an inspiration. How can people find out more about you or Adara? Oh, Ruth? that's a good question. Thank you. That's a great ending question. So, the Adara Group, you know, adaragroup.org is our website. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're hopeless at LinkedIn, but we intend to be less hopeless at LinkedIn. But, you know, if you Google us, you'll find us. We are an organization with offices around the world now, but with a Sydney base, we're always open and keen to connect to others who are out there who want to change the world and cheering them on. So we're pretty easy to find. And if you're born with a name that's as weird as Audette Excel, then one of the great things about that is, you know, you're very easy to find when people Google you because there are no other others out there. Uh, so we're easy to track down. But following us through Adara Group, through our social media feeds, is the, the right way to start. Well, thank you so much, Odette. It's been an absolute joy learning more about your story and just the way you think and the way you approach life. And, it, you know, it's a real inspiration. And I know it will be an inspiration to many others. So thank you again. And we will no doubt be talking to you again in the future. Thanks. I appreciate it. You too. All your successes. Cheering you on. And it's been an absolute delight. All we needed was a bottle of wine to have a conversation, right? <laughs> Next time. Next, <laughs> Next time. time. We do it later. All right. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has reinforced the idea that making great and new things happen is all about taking action despite doubts, fears, or tough times. Don't forget, links and other useful info from today's show can be found at our website, don'tstopusnow.co. And if you've enjoyed and been inspired today, our request to you is please subscribe. And if you could make today the day that you take two minutes to rate and review this show, we will personally blow your air kisses, sing you a song and be eternally grateful. Finally, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know who you'd like to hear in future on the show and what else we can do to make this unmissable for you. You can reach us at hello at don'tstopusnow.co. 
So, here's to being a little bit more unstoppable each and every day. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.